Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of I'm Dying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and uh, we are finally wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, we've been doing this for a number of weeks. Um, it feels probably like more like months now at this point because uh, we've <clears throat> you know taken our time, gone through section by section through Matthew 5, 6, and now wrapping up 7, and so... You know, there's been a plethora of episodes out there, and we've really been in Matthew for quite some time. I'd, I'd actually have to go back and look and see if, if I can recall when we first dropped it, because uh, it's been a while. Uh, October 7th was the Gospel of Matthew intro, and so uh, we've been in here since October, the beginning, and uh, here we are in March, and we still have a long ways to go, and so I'm not <clears throat> looking forward, or I'm, I'm not looking to speed through this and get to the end of it. I'm just looking forward to, you know, taking it section by section. And hopefully what this allows you as a listener to do is if you hear, you know, or you come across a particular section and you're confused, hopefully you'll pick up the show on that section and listen to it. And, 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 you know, and then whether you listen to them in order, great. If not, or you cherry pick through as you want to, you know, know how I would handle certain portions of Matthew that's great too um, but they're here and it's truncated enough so that way you can literally open your Bible and look at these individual sections and follow along with me and a majority of them I've I've come to find being here in Matthew I, I haven't done a lot of you know like the quote-unquote early commercials to the show I've been um, really focusing on you know, uh, just digging into the content, giving <clears throat> a little bit of like a preliminary set at the beginning and then moving into it. So, uh, that is really all I got. Um, before we dig into the content, I do want to say a few things, um, in regards to the ministry. Uh, I am working on a book, a theology book, and my patrons have access and have been able to read through what I've written so far. I've got essentially two chapters done in it. And um, I am actively working to see if I can 
uh, get it sent off to a publisher to have it reviewed uh, as a proposal, and we'll see from there. So if you are interested in joining us, you can help uh, this cause and this ministry by joining us on Patreon, and you can do it at patreon.com forward slash undying light. And uh, that helps, you know, fuel this ministry, and it helps us to really just establish kind of the overall markings of uh, what we're trying to do and what we're trying to establish out here is, and, and most of that is just right biblical doctrine. We, we, we take the text and, you know, we, we break it down and we look at it from what would be, you know, most common eyes in the, in the congregation. Because at the end of the day, what we find is most people, uh, they'll have one of two things. Either they'll have very, very basic knowledge of the text or very little knowledge, or they'll have, you know, a really good, deep, systematic, you know, basis. And I had a conversation with a person on one of my posts on social media, and I thought it was interesting because uh, he was, uh, I put up a, a, a short clip of Chad Bird talking about how every church uh, service today, it was a Sunday, should have the sermon in it or the sermon should have the gospel in it. And this person replies, well, why not just systematically go through Genesis to Revelation? And systematically teaching is one thing. And and I cover this in my opening chapter of my book, uh, that if you were to go to a church and sit down and listen to a systematic sermon, you're going to walk away with some wonderful head knowledge. You will walk away knowing exactly what is going on in the text. But what you won't get most often is the gospel. You don't get the gospel preached. Now you can, and, or it could be, or, or, or in many cases, it's just elusive. But what you're going to get is you're going to go home and you're going to spend your time reading your Bible and you're going to try and have to figure out what in the world is the context. And so you have to get commentaries and you have to get all these, you know, extra biblical resources to help you understand what is going on in the text. But that doesn't give you the, the gospel. And, and I made the argument that, you know, knowledge is one thing. Knowing the Bible is one thing. Uh, atheists know the Bible, and that, that does not save them. They still do not believe in the gospel. Knowing the gospel and believing the gospel is what matters, and that's why we preach it every weekend. Uh, and this is exactly goes off to what Paul says, we preach Christ and him crucified. We don't have to preach systematically teaching systematically in a Bible teaching class is wonderful and it should be done and encouraged in all churches. But in the sermon on Sunday morning, when it is a collective corporate worship session, you should be preaching the gospel and you can exposit a little, you know, the text. I, what I do is I do a mixture of expository preaching and I, you know, I tell the, the, the you know, I kind of paint that scene. I tell the story, you know, explain what's going on. And I get the reader, like or the listener, drawn into what is happening, and then I dig into the law gospel distinction. What is the law doing here in this text? How is this affecting people? And how do uh, and how do you you know be revived with the gospel? And so that's you know my biggest complaint really with expository preaching. And and if you haven't noticed on a lot of these episodes, I will explain the text and will detail what's going on. But I also spend a lot of time talking about how the law is affecting you and how that is, you know, surpassed by the gospel. And we've looked at these last two sections here in Matthew, the last two weeks, um, the false teachings, the, the bad fruit, and then Jesus making this statement, I never knew you. 
And I've heard some people argue that this is talking about false teachers. That's true. I've heard people say it's talking about false converts. That's true. But more importantly, those sections are really aimed at unbelievers who have tried to position the gospel or really more or less Jesus for some sort of personal gain, some sort of personal satisfaction. And so uh, it, it all works together, right? False teachers, false prophets, false converts, people who try to use uh, the name of Christ for monetary gain. That all is who that is directed at. This is not a text directed towards biblically sound Christ believers. People who believe in Jesus Christ, this text is not aimed at them, that portion, uh, especially 21 through 23. So pay pay attention to that. Go back and listen to those two episodes. I, you know, I get a little feisty, if you would, on the on the first one, talking about the false teachings. But uh, I really lay it out pretty well last in last week's episode. I felt I felt like last week's episode was a really good one. I, and like I even recorded it, went upstairs and talked to my wife, and I was like, "Boy, I really just I feel like I hit that one out of the park. It just it just flowed really well." So we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, there's just a handful of verses left, 24 through 28, or 29 technically, and uh, we we have one small clip here of Jesus teaching, and then we see the authority of Jesus as it closes out, and then he moves on into chapter 8 and cleanses the leper. Uh, We have the faith of the Samaritan, Jesus heals many, and so uh, this will be where uh, he goes to Peter's house and sees his mother-in-law sick. So we, we have, a, again, more text to deal with um, past the Sermon on the Mount. We have you know, still really two and a half or so years of ministry left. And the Gospel of Matthew's got 20 chapters left after we finish the first seven. There's 28 in the whole book. So um, let's dig into the text here. Uh, verse 24, uh, this section is titled, Build Your House on the Rock. And here's what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but did but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and it was gr- and great was the fall of it. Uh, And then the last two verses here. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So now the Sermon on the Mount teaching has concluded. However, we have these last few verses to handle. Uh, He ends his sermon with a parable uh, about two builders one who builds their house on a rock and the other who builds their house on sand. The wise man hears Jesus's words and doesn't the foolish man hears Jesus's words and does something else. Augustine says this, if Christ is the rock, that man builds in Christ who does what he hears from him. So this is an interesting section because again, we, we can tie into a few different, kind of avenues, if you would, uh, this last portion here is not fully and descriptively talking about our works and how we respond, our obedience, if you would. Uh, we, we have to understand there has to be a distinction between works and our faith. 
Our faith is not a work. It is a measurement of what Christ has given to us in terms of us believing the gospel. Again, some of us have immense amounts of faith and we, we've believed from infants till death and we, we've never doubted the gospel. Some of us struggle uh, through periods of our lives. Some of us struggle on a daily and weekly basis. And, you know, we, we have just enough faith, just that size of a mustard seed to hold on. And that's all it takes to be saved. And so you, you have, we have to understand that before we really dig into the, the heart of this text, because this is a good text that can be manipulated to really position those works-based righteousness teachers. And they, they use these verses as a foundation of instruction in their church sermons. This is where you can, you know, uh, apply application, if you would, to the sermon and say, okay, you, I, you've listened to everything I've said. Now go and do these things. That's exactly what these verses are doing. Uh, if you take that mindset, but re- let's look at them in a little bit closer here. Everyone who hears these words, this is uh, an encapsulation of the entire sermon on the Mount. Everybody who hears everything he says and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That means you would have to go through and meticulously adhere to every single thing that Jesus has just got done teaching on. And if we just kind of scroll up here in, in my Logos software here, the, the wonderful convenience of it, I can just go right back to chapter 5. We open with the Beatitudes. And right there we talked about how these are often can be used as a leveling of the law where you are aimed at having to fulfill these things in order to be called a Christian. Uh, Then he moves on to salt and light, Christ coming to fulfill the law. Then he deals through a bunch of topics, anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy. Then he shows us how prayer should function in the Lord's prayer. And then he talks about fasting, laying up treasures, not to be anxious. Don't judge others. Ask and it will be given. The golden rule, the fruit and its trees, and I never knew you. So you you have to take all of that and, and be perfectly and utterly obedient to every single jot and tittle in that entire sermon. That's what some of these people will say. And it seems at first pass that that's what Jesus is saying. But at the end of how we would understand the law gospel distinction is we, we have to take, uh, you know, especially verse 24, and we have to apply that to within the greater context of the ministry of Jesus. Is Jesus giving us a new command, a new set of laws, and a new means of being obedient. No, he is not. He is teaching the law, and he is showing how the law will always draw you back to your sin. It will show you your sin. It will reveal to you how you are unable to obtain righteousness because of your disobedience. That is what he's doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. These are topics that are are extraordinarily difficult to deal with. Take just the anger section, for instance. We talked about this a number of weeks ago. The anger is a moment of when you call your brother a fool in your heart, you have committed murder. And we would attest to say anytime you've felt the need for vengeance against your brother or sister or anytime you have cursed them, you have committed murder. Because murder doesn't just have to be physical. It can be mentally and spiritually as well. And so it's not just about murdering somebody, but it is about the hatred towards somebody, 
That is what the commandment gets at. Moving on to lust. He talks about lust. When you look at another person uh, of the opposite sex and really for the same sex for those who struggle with homosexuality, when you look at somebody with lustful desires in your eyes, you are committing adultery. Now, I would venture to say in both of those categories, every single person listening to this show has fallen victim to those. It's easy. It is absolutely in, incredibly easy to fall victim to both of those issues. And so here you've already violated this building your house on the rock because you have faltered at those two commands. You have, you have completely built your house on sand and is being washed away. That's if you take this section as a works-based section about obedient and being obedient to what Jesus has said. Now, I would also argue that you should adhere to these and you should be listening to what Jesus says and you should be doing what you can to obey them. Because, see, Christianity just isn't a religion of chaos and, and disobedience, right? Christians are, are strong to the gospel. We are we're tied in and locked in to our basic fundamental beliefs of the gospel. And we 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 love Christ so much that we want to please him. However, we often stumble into sin. And so we we have to acknowledge that we are sinners. Paul tells us that. He makes a great example in Romans 7 where he post conversion declares that he is a sinner. He does the things he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do the things he wants to do. That's the basic principle to all Christians. We do the things we don't want to do, and it just continuously happens, and that can be any sin. Whether it's alcohol, <coughs> alcoholism, you're drunk. It could be addiction to pornography. It could be you know addiction to lying, gossiping, uh, slandering people, coveting things. I mean... I'll be the first to admit, I and, and I said this in our Bible study, which you can join us if you're a patron. Uh, I said this last week in our Bible study. I love books. I I am infatuated with books. And and, and now I will admit I don't have quite a, a, you know, a big addiction is a lot of the like the book pages on like Instagram or something. Uh, they're the books, the books of Instagram. I don't know how they there's a, like a category, if you would, of people who dedicate to showcasing their libraries. I don't have that. I do have a decent theological library up in my main office and and I've you know got quite a few books up there and uh and and I and I have been blessed to have received many of them as gifts and I, and I've always said this on the show I'll go out and buy used books and as long as they're in good condition I'll buy used books I don't care because they're cheap and so um and that's the same thing with like my my desire for fantasy and sci-fi books I have a plethora of used books or books that I've had since I was in, in high school and, and younger, and I've had them my whole life. And they they are my basis for reading. I love reading books. And what we find is that obsession to covet more books, more something, more this, more that. We're, we're filling our, 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 our hearts and our souls with these items. And then in the, in the text we were preaching, I was in John chapter four with the woman at the well. And the reason I had brought that is this because what Jesus is saying about this thirst that quenches us is the gospel. And what happens is we find ourselves trying to uh, quench that thirst with 
items from this world, whether it's books, money, cars, houses, clothes, uh, spouses, children, whatever it may be. You are filling your life with something that is taking your attention away from Christ. And that's exactly how we can apply the verses here. This has not, this isn't necessarily have, have to deal with the works or obedience. It has to deal with where is our attention being placed? Is it being placed on the things of righteousness and on Christ? Or is it being placed on the objects in this world that entertain us and call us into, you know, the world? Now, again, I like I said, I'm a big movie buff. I love books. Um, right now, I'm, I'm working myself through the Lord of the Rings series, and I'm watching them more or less as inspiration to one of my books that I'm writing. That's not theology, uh, and I'm and I'm you know considering how Tolkien drew out his universe and drew out his world and 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 really wrote through you know the the storyline and the lord of the rings is a very simple plot it is you know these evil rings created and now they must be destroyed that's the plot of the movie and so it's the journey of these people to go and destroy the ring that i mean in in a boiled down nutshell that's the basic chemistry of it and so i i'm you know i'm watching them and enjoying my time doing so but i also have to understand that these are just mere points of entertainment in this world and i cannot allow them to take hold of every facet of my life and 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 when i do then i'm falling away from the premise of the gospel and i am building my house on sand and i'm allowing the floodwaters to come and wash it away so i would venture to stress that this text should be viewed in a manner of where is our faith placed? Do we have faith in Christ? Do we believe these words that he says? Or are we hearing them and then doing something else? Are we hearing these words and then moving into another portion of our life, allowing the things of the world to influence us and to call us into the, you know, the mundane existence, if you would, of what the world gives you. Do you hear the words of Christ and believe them? That's, that's salvation in it in of itself. If you believe the words of Christ, you are saved. If you believe as Paul notes that he is Lord and God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. And I think sometimes, especially in the Protestant movements, we get so hung up, with having to showcase our faith, demonstrate our faith, show others that we are believers, that we lose the fundamental aspect of what faith is. And it is simply belief, believing in the words of Jesus Christ. If you believe, you will be saved. That's all it takes. It is not about building and doing all these works and climbing that ladder and assuring to others around you that, that they know you're a believer. Because I'll tell you, you know, I have, I have a, an older congregation and I have a lot of people in that congregation that are, are amazing people. And even in their late seventies and eighties, they still help out with so many functions in the church and, and it just blows my mind. And most of it goes unnoticed. Most of it goes unacknowledged. Most of it just happens as regular routine. And I, I am overly thrilled and overly blessed 
with these individuals. And I tell them all the time how deep of a thanks I have and appreciation for them. And they don't do it to, to highlight to others. They do it because they see a need and they try to fulfill it. And, and, and many of them just do it because they've always done it. And, and that's wonderful. And so that is a big difference between, you know, using your works. And this kind of goes back to the hypocrisy stance at the beginning of chapter six, when Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, you know, don't go out and do these things. So other people can see you do them. So your father who is in secret sees you do them because you feel drawn in your heart to do them. You know, if I go to my church and uh, I walk through our fellowship hall and I walk into the narthex and I, and I'm looking at the floor and I see that, you know, a kid from Sunday had uh, dropped some crackers and they got crunched in the floor. My first instinct is I'm going to go grab the vacuum and I'm going to pause whatever else I was going to do. And I'm going to vacuum this floor real quick. That is the you know, epitome of my, my thinking. I see a need. And I'm going to resolve it. And then I'm not going to go and brag about it. Oh, yeah, I came in and had to vacuum for 35 seconds. No, it's just you do it. And that's the heart of the of the Christian. We see a need and we go out and we fulfill it. And, and it has absolutely nothing to do with our desire to be seen by the masses. It has nothing to do with us to showcase and, and do these, you know, circus acts for people. And this is the biggest problem I find in the, you know, big box non-denominational churches. They're, you know, basically like a watered down Baptist, if you would, uh, that they really position works and they make that to be like the evidence of your faith and your salvation. And, you know, we were a part of uh, some churches that did some really great things uh, for the community and they, they were really wonderful in terms of like how they could affect and impact the local community. And, and these big, this big church would partner with a big grocery store and they would offer bulk items once a year for, uh, to fill the, um, the food pantry that the church housed that they gave food away to those who were uh, needy and those who were in need of food. And so then, you know, around Thanksgiving, they would, put together, you know, like a Thanksgiving platter of items and stuff and give these away to people who needed it. I mean, this was a wonderful ministry that this church had done. And I'm, I'm, you know, Janae and I are are overly blessed to have participated in it for a number of years, but you know, once a year they would, uh, they would encourage on mission Sunday to go to that store and buy what you could. And what I found is they never, you know, they would never shun you if you couldn't afford it. They would never shun you if you uh, weren't able to attend and purchase anything. And and then they'd never shun you if you could only buy one or two items because everybody gave what they could. Some people would buy cartloads because they were better off financially. Other people would buy just a few items because they just, you know, were tighter on their money. And then they would, you know, and then they would encourage you know, various people to help load the trucks and help check food in and do all that stuff in which Janae and I did a number of times. Um, but you know, those types of ministries are wonderful. It's when those ministries then become a chastisement towards people who can't do them, then it becomes difficult. And I'll give you an example uh, of how I'm, I'm trying to prevent something like that from taking place in my church. Uh, Our, 
cleaners in our church have resigned at the end of January due to a new baby in the house. And so uh, we are left without people to clean our church. Now, we don't hire a company or anything. We just had, you know, uh, some family members in the church uh, come in and clean the church once a week and we paid them for it. And, you know, that just in de- that entails vacuuming and it entails, you know, wiping the counters down in the, in the kitchens and on the tables and ensuring the bathrooms are clean and the floors are mopped and the pews are clean. And, you know, the, the church looks presentable for Sunday service. And I've had, you know, since then we've, we've decided as a council to uh, look at having the church step up and fulfill the certain roles and requirements needed to keep the church clean. And so you can come in and vacuum, you can come in and sweep, you can mop the floors, you can do these things. And I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, I, we, we, we can't run a vacuum. We're just not strong enough because they're older. You know, we, we can't do these things. We can't bend over low and do these things anymore. And, and they felt guilty. And I said, don't you ever worry about anything like that. We've got other people who can handle it. You know, you, you contribute to the church in a much different way, and their contribution is greatly valued. But, you know, one thing that could really falter is if I were to press the guilt upon them and, and really make them feel like they were not a good enough Christian if they can't do these things and perform these tasks or help with this ministry. And, you know, we do a mission outreach every month, and it changes from month to month. And so I know some people give to the, some of those organizations more than they do others, and that's perfectly fine. Whatever they find in their heart to do, they do it. But we cannot allow this to, you know, be the, the driving point behind people's mindset. If you if I were to go in and then just start to ostracize my church for not, you know, for some of the members not being able to do what other members were, were capable of doing, I, I would quickly be kicked out of my church. But that's how some of these big boxes are operating. And they utilize the, the this guilt stream to focus on you know, driving more money into their business. And they've really created church to be a business. And that's the sad factor of it all. And so we, we, we consider all that and how we read these last few verses and building that house on the rock just means you believe in the words that Christ has said and you adhere to it in your heart. And you know that even though you will stumble and fall, your house is still built on a rock because you have faith in Christ. But if you hear the words of Christ and you do not believe in them, then you are doing nothing but building a house on the sand and you are a foolish person. That is how we can handle that text. Uh, So Jesus begins the sermon on the mount back in chapter 5 by declaring God, uh, that God blesses the poor in spirit, mourning the meek and those who are hungry for God's saving righteousness. These are are the ones who receive Jesus and his teaching with understanding. Saving faith in Jesus is living and active, eager to do what he says. Good works certainly and without doubt follow true faith. Jesus concludes the sermon by picturing the secure future guaranteed to the wise disciple who hears his words and does them. So pay attention to how that happens. He declares at the beginning of his sermon on that God blesses these, these folk, and I just listed them all, and he concludes it by saying, that you are securing your future by hearing the words that Christ says and, and doing them. So he's finished teaching. Uh, this is uh, the end of his first discourse here. Uh, he has five of them in Matthew. 
and we will come across the next four in chapter 11 and chapter 13, 19, and 26 uh, as they will end. The crowds are astonished by the unparalleled authority that Jesus is teaching from. And again, this authority here is the evidence of his is given throughout as demonstrated in chapter 9, verse 6, 21, 23, 28, 18. Uh, so when the scribes taught at the, you know, as we get to the end of chapter 7 here, the scribes taught, they just simply quoted other authorities. They just read what was on the parchment or the scroll. They had no authority in of themselves. They were mere copiers. That's all they did. Copiers and readers. They had no authority given. They would have to quote the other Pharisees or other people, prophets and that, to demonstrate whether the text had authority or not. Jesus is not merely just a wise teacher, but he speaks with the voice of God. Our Lord and Savior addresses us in the Sermon on the Mount. He declares us blessed and calls us to be lights of the world because we are enlightened by his word. That is how we conclude chapter 7. And that is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to wrap her up there. And I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, whole long series on the Sermon on the Mount. Next week we will dig into cleansing of the leper. And we will talk about how that uh, functions in the everyday life. And it's only a couple verses. So we might actually pair that with the faith as a centurion. Uh, as well as we look through maybe the first 13 verses of chapter 8. So we'll see what time gives us and how long I babble on for these first uh, four verses, but I, I venture to say we'll probably dig into um, the next section as well. So uh, thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. It is Friday by the time this episode airs, so make sure you get to church on Sunday and hear that gospel preached. And uh, hopefully you'll partake, uh, partake in the sacraments. And if they are not offered, then make sure you come back next week or the week after and do so. Uh, because the sacraments, the Lord's Supper is crucial for the Christian. So until next week, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all later. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.